Perfect. Praise God. So this morning, we are going to talk about the tongue. And, uh, you know, the, the tongue, and as we'll look through the scripture today, what we say with our mouth, it just has so much incredible power. What we say stems from what we believe. You know, and I was, I was going and researching this and looking at the different scriptures and looking at these different stories, and I found this story that I thought was pretty hilarious, but it doesn't really fit too much in with what we're going to do, it, but I'm going to tell it anyway. And this pastor says, my wife was busy one evening pursuing her hobby of making porcelain dolls at a doll making class, leaving me at home to watch our two children, Melinda, who's age seven, and Craig, who's age five. While I was chatting with a neighbor on the front porch, the phone rang, and I was proud to hear Craig, his five-year-old, answer the phone promptly and politely. It says, my pride vanished as I heard my son's response to the caller's request to speak to my wife. He said, no, my mom's not here. She's out making a baby. But my dad is here if you want to talk to him. <laughs> and he says, naturally the phone call is from one of the elders of our church. <laughs> you know, the, the words that we say have, have meaning and power behind them, and they actually impact our lives when we speak. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a funny story, but the truth is what we say actually has power. It impacts our lives. You know, you've heard the, uh, the saying that if you say you can, you're right. But if you say you can't, you're still right. You know, the truth is, what we say with our mouth impacts what we're physically able to do in our body. Also, what we say, it holds us accountable. When you uh, say to yourself, or you think to yourself, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, but you don't say it out loud, you don't tell anybody. And, you know, the next day comes along and you're like, yes, that's nonsense, I'm not doing that no more. But if you say, you know what, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, and you tell your wife and you tell your friends, I'm going to lose 20 pounds, now you've, you're, you're held accountable to that. You've spoken, somebody else has heard it, and you can't just, oh, I never said that, it's nothing. It actually holds us accountable as well. Also, what we think influences what we say. And it actually works kind of both ways, but when you think about stuff, that ends up coming out of your mouth, out of your mouth. When you, you know, people say what they believe. And what we think influences what we say. And the Bible says to take every thought captive. So we have to be careful with what we're thinking as well. Because it influences what we say. And what we say influences, it doesn't influence us, but it, uh, it's fruit of what we believe. So let's go ahead and look at our first scriptures today. And I'm entitled the slide, Then God Said. Because if we look in the book of Genesis... We find in Genesis verse, chapter 1, verses 3, that says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And then in Genesis 1, chapter 6, it says, Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And we know at that point there was land. Genesis 1.9 says, Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And then in, in Genesis 1.14, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And then he also goes on to say, I couldn't fit all of them on the, on the, the slide, but it says, Let the waters teem with creatures. And then he says, Let the earth bring forth creatures. So God continues to say, let, He says, uh, then God said, then God said, and something happened, then God said, and something happened, then God said, and something happened. We begin to see a pattern. And if you look over and over, then God said, then God said, then God said, then God said. And we see a pattern that when God speaks, power comes out, and something happens. But how many know that we're all made in the image and likeness of God? He set a pattern for us to live our lives. When God speaks, something happens. When we speak his word, 
the same word, the same power that made these things happen. When we speak his word, stuff happens. You know, when uh, <clears throat> the Bible says in Romans 4, chapter 17, it says, As it is written, the Father of many nations I have made you, and the presence of him who believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. God calls into being that which does not exist. And we see that in Genesis, and we also see that in our own lives. When we speak the word of God, there is power and the world must comply. When we speak healing over somebody's body and we're speaking the word of God, their body must comply. If we have faith, then that, that word working through us, what we say has power. You know, and that's why when we pray for people, we say it out loud. We don't just think it to ourselves. Because the truth is, the devil hears what we're saying too. The devil can't read your mind. You've got to say it out loud. So we say, be whole in the name of Jesus. We're speaking in the name of Jesus with the power of God coming out of our mouth. We say these things. The body must comply and the devil's going to hear you. And he has to listen as well. But we begin to think to ourselves, but I don't have this ability to do these amazing things. I don't have this built inside of me. How is it that that can happen? But how many know, has anybody ever ridden a plane in here? Anybody flown? Anybody go flown? Well, when you get on the plane, how many of you know that, that nobody walks up to you and says, are you sure you can fly? Do you have the strength to flap your wings and fly us to uh, overseas? How many know when you go to get on a plane, nobody asks you that? They don't ask how strong your arms are so you can flap hard enough. They don't ask that if you have the physical ability to, to Superman across the ocean. Why? Because they're not relying on you to fly across the ocean. They're relying on the airplane. And in the same way, when we speak the word of God, we're not relying on our strength for God's power to move, for God to work in our lives. We're not relying on, on our strength to physically heal somebody. We're not relying on our strength to be able to bring in the final we need in our lives. We're not relying on our strength to fix relationships in, in our lives, to call those relationships whole. We're not relying on our strength for somebody else to get saved. We're relying on God because He's the plane. It's in Him who we're relying on. Amen? Next, we're going to go start seeing some, some stories in the Bible where we actually see the power of somebody's voice, the power of the tongue. In Joshua 6, 1 through 5, it says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So then we find out as we read through the rest of the story that the soldiers march around the city once each day. They march around once and they stop. Next day they march around once and they stop. The next day once and they stop. Six days they do that and on the seventh day they march around that city seven times and on the seventh time the horns blow and the people shout. And it says in verse 20, so the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets and when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. 
What do you think would have happened if the people would have refused to shout? If people wouldn't have, have, have with their mouths, expressed faith in what the Word of God says? They shouted. In this city, the walls just fell down flat. You know, sometimes in our lives, when we're going up against something, you have to shout. Sometimes, just praying quietly to yourself isn't going to cut it. Sometimes you need to say, devil, get away from me. Get out of my life. You have no authority here. You have to say, cancer, be dead. I am whole in the name of Jesus. Sometimes you've got to shout out loud to let the devil know that you're serious. And the power, this power that comes with a, with a person that's willing to shout for God. Is there a wall in your life? Is there temptation that's threatening to drag you back down at all times? Is there something that was in your old life that keeps trying to pull you away? Stand up and yell at it. Say, I am free in the name of Jesus. Push against what's pushing against you and say it out loud. The devil will hear you and he'll run. The devil knows the Bible. He knows the scriptures. And when he hears you proclaiming them, he has to flee. Amen? So this wall we're talking about, you guys have all heard the story of the wall of Jericho, right? What do you guys imagine in your head what this wall looks like? In my head, I imagined, a, you know, a little bit big brick wall, just tall. You know, it was a big wall, but I'm thinking a wall, right? And it makes sense in my head because they yell and the wall falls down flat and they just walk across the wall, right? But let me show you a picture of what this wall actually looks like. This wall is this thing right here. The first retaining, retaining wall is six feet wide. And then it has another brick wall on top of that. So this is 23 feet tall. Then it's filled with earth in the middle. The second retaining wall on the inside is 12 feet wide. And it's 30 feet tall. So this wall is somewhere between, I mean, this is the middle varies depending on where it is. But we're probably talking at least 24 feet to, to 30 feet wide all the time. That wide. Now, how many knows that that wall tips over, it's still 30 feet tall. We imagine in our head this wall tips over, but if that happened, it's still 30 feet tall. Now we've just got the wall in a different way. But when these people shouted, it says the wall went flat. This wall actually fell in such a way that the people could cross over it. It didn't just tip over. We had something supernatural happen here. This wall went flat so the people could walk over it. You know, there's things in our lives that, that doesn't seem like they can happen. Is it physically impossible for this to happen? But God can make things that are physically impossible happen, just like he made this wall fall flat so that people could get over it. God can do incredible supernatural things in your life if you're just willing to shout the word of God at your, at your problems. Amen? Next, we're going to go take a look at Ezekiel, the prophet in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 37, 1 through 6, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Anybody ever feel like that, the, the, that their life is just a valley full of bones sometimes? Nothing's going right? And then in verse 2, it says, He caused me to pass among them round about, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. This is a valley full of bones. Where the, the, these, these guys didn't just die a few weeks ago. This is, I mean, they've been dead for a long, long time. They're completely dried out. All the skin's been plucked off. I mean, they're just clean, white, dry, desert-washed bones. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Kind of a cop-out answer. You know, he's, he's not sure. 
you know if they can live, Lord. What are you asking me? But sometimes in our lives, God's going to ask you, can these bones live? And you need to say in the name of Jesus, yes, they can. And again he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. You know, the truth is, the human answer to can these bones live? I mean, you go and ask any archaeologist that's studying bones, if somebody walked up to him and said, can these bones live again? They're going to tell you no. The human answer is no. I mean, they're dead. They're bones. They don't, even have, they don't have nothing on them. Even if we could pack skin and bones around them, if we could pack everything back on them, they're just still, a, you know, they're a statue. They're a lump of clay. They're, there's no life in them. Even if we, it's like when you go to a museum and they put together back the bones of the, the dinosaurs and stuff and they shape them all out so they look like the real thing, they're still dead. I mean, the human answer is no. But with God, the answer is always Yes. You know, when God's answering you, asking you a question about something that's impossible, if he ever asks you anything, I'm going to give you the cheat sheet right now. The answer is yes, God can do it. You know, and we also find here that, that uh, how many of you know God could have just said to these bones, live, and they would have lived. God could have done it. God didn't need Ezekiel. But in the same way, God uses us in our lives to impact the people around us, to impact the world around us. The Lord's going to use you to speak his word to make an impact. You see, these bones here, they represented the Jewish nation. They represented the Jewish nation that was dead, and they've been dead for a long time. And basically what God's asking Ezekiel is, can, we, can the Jewish nation live again? Well, that impacts us today because we look around us, and we can see the city of Morana, and the city of Morana, many of the people in it are dead. And God's going to ask us, can these bones live again? And, and through us they can. God's going to use us to speak to these people, to speak to these bones. So what happens in the next few verses in Ezekiel 37, 7 through 10? It says, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a rattling, and bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked and behold sinews were on them, and flesh grew skin, covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say to the breath thus says the lord god come from the four winds o breath and breathe on these slain that they come to life so i prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they came to life and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army so once again we find basically we had a museum the bones start to come I mean, how many of you got, could you imagine seeing that I mean, this, this doesn't sound like the work of God. This sounds like a horror movie. Is that the bones start coming back together, sinews being put on it. We've got some zombies coming up out of the ground. We had a, I don't know, you guys know the, the zombie apocalypse, the big thing right now. Be ready for the zombie apocalypse. And uh, Pastor Mike was saying, you know, I don't care if we have a zombie apocalypse. Zombies will just bite me and then get saved. So, you know, but we got, we have, we have, uh, these bones are coming together, and, and the bones are coming together, and the sinews and the tendons are all coming on, and the, and the skin comes on them, or the, the muscles and the skin comes around them, and now we have an army of, of men. But there was a problem. They don't have life in them. 
And that's actually what we see today. We see an army of, of dead people walking around. They have skin and bones and muscles, and they walk around just fine, but they have no life in them. And it's much like when Adam was created. If you remember in the, in the beginning when God created Adam, Adam, he pushes the earth together and he, and he makes Adam. But all he had was a, was a, was a figure, a clay figure. There was, there was no life in Adam until God breathed. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath to come. And the breath comes and it enters in to these bodies, to, the, to, to these, these people. It enters into the Jewish nation and they are living again through the breath of God. But did you notice that Ezekiel had to say it? Ezekiel had to use his mouth. And God used him for the breath to fill the, these, these bodies. And it says, I prophesied as, as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You know, in the same way, we need to, to speak words of life to all of those around us. There are people that aren't saved, that are dead. They have no breath of life in them. But as we speak to them and, and we tell them about Jesus, as they, as they accept Jesus into their life, that breath of life comes in them. That stone is removed, the dead man is removed, and it's replaced with a, a heart of flesh, a living heart. And they get a new spirit inside of them. They have life once again. And God's going to use us, use our mouths. Because how, do you know, how many of you know the people aren't going to get saved if they're never told about Jesus? If they're never told about the promises of God, that God loves them, if we don't use our mouths to tell people, they're never going to have the opportunity. Amen? So then if we learn a little bit more about the tongue in our body. James has got quite a bit to say about the tongue in our body. James chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. and verses 3 it says, Now if we put bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of inequity. The tongue is set among our members, so that so as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So the first thing we read is that now if we put bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire bodies as well. Anybody ever had any experience with horses? My uh, grandfather, he owns a farm in Iowa, and, and I grew up around horses. My, my mom's raised horses. She actually has horses now. And if you have a good, docile, well-trained horse, you don't have to use a bit. You can just put the bridle in. They're trained by the reins hitting their neck. They know which to turn. But as you're training a horse, and some of those, those honorary horses that just don't want to listen, you put a bit in their mouth, and it's a piece of metal that goes in their mouth that they can't really bite down, and it feels weird. And when you tug on them, they feel that tugging inside their mouth. And that little bridle, that little bit that you put in, the, in their mouth, can turn a horse where you want it to go. This huge horse, I mean, you guys have all seen horses, right? They're not small animals. They're not, they're not one you can just push on and tell where to go unless they want to go. You know, so they put bits in their mouth to make them go with this little tiny piece of metal can direct, you know, 2,000 pound horse. It's quite amazing. And then we find here, it says, look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder. So I was looking, I'm like, well, what kind of ships do we have today? They use rudders and, and, you know, I think the first big ship that pops into every, everybody's mind is the Titanic. 
So like, well, let's take a look at the Titanic. How big was it? And how big was its rudder? And so I started looking. And then when you type into Google, you ever see like the little search, uh, uh, like it suggests searches. So you put in Titanic and you find like suggestions for ships larger than the Titanic. So there's a ship called the Oasis of the Seas. It's the largest ship in the world. It's 1,186 and a half feet long. It is almost like another third of the Titanic in front of it, how long this ship is. It weighs 100,000 tons. It's amazing I can float, right? It doesn't boggle anybody's mind. Anyway, 100,000 tons. It's 1,200 feet long. And the rudders that, that, that steer this thing, I took it. There's two of them on the back. And I couldn't find any measurements, but there's a picture of this boat lifted up so you could see these rudders and people standing next to it. So just a quick math looking at, say the guy's six foot tall. The rudder actually, the two rudders or three rudders actually have the propellers built into them, the motor built into them, and the rudder at the same time. Probably 50 to 100 foot long, 50 to 100 foot tall. This thing's 1,200 foot long, and that little tiny thing steers this 100,000 pound ship. So this is what James is trying to, trying to show you here, that your tongue, that little piece of flesh in your mouth, has that kind of power over your life. And there's some interesting things here that, that I want to point out that I see is, one, your little tongue can steer your entire body whichever direction it wants to go. You speak positively, it steers your body in a positive direction. You speak words of life, and it steers your body in that direction. But if you speak negativity and bitterness, I mean, you'll actually shorten your life if you live your life like that because that's where your tongue will steer your body. But something I find important to point out is it says that the, the, even though that the, the ship is driven by strong winds and it's directed by a small rudder, it's wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. How many know you control your rudder? That tongue, just like a rudder, is directed, the, directed by the pilot that that steers our life, our tongue steers our life, is directed by us. We choose what we say by taking every thought captive and, and being deliberate about the things that we say. And as we find out here, the tongue is also like a small fire that ignites, that has the ability to ignite a, a huge forest fire. You know, up on Mount Lemmon, what do we have fires up there every year, every couple of years? And they're almost always started by, uh, by someone flicking a cigarette butt out, that little tiny spark ignites a fire that burns the entire top of the mountain. Your tongue is like that. And if you're not careful with it, if you don't take those thoughts captive and, and guard what you say, a little fire will start and it'll begin to blaze and eventually it'll blaze out of control. Have you ever said some, some stuff that you just went so far that you'll, you can't take it back? You can't undo what's done? You, that can happen if you're not careful with your tongue. So we need to, to be careful to control our rudder, our tongue, our spark, so that the fires that burn are fires of God and fires of heaven instead of fires of this world. Amen? And in Matthew 12, 33-37, it says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Anybody ever seen a banana growing on an apple tree? Anybody seen an apple growing on a banana tree? So how do you know, if you, if you walked up to a tree in somebody's backyard, how it, and it had apples on it, how would you know it was an apple tree? Because it had apples on it, right? That's how we, that's how we know the, the tree. I mean, th there's some people that, that know, Joseph could probably tell you what the tree was without having fruit. But me, if it didn't have fruit on it, I don't know, it's a tree. 
but if I saw apples, well, it's an apple tree. You know, and I think that's, that's, that's what Jesus is saying here. You know a tree by its fruit. And he says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? He's talking to the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it says, for their mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, it's, it's funny that you can tell who a person is by the fruit of their life, by the fruit of their words. And some people put on a show, you know, they, they, they put on a show when they're talking about, when they're speaking, nobody's talking about these, these, every careless word that people speak. These are the words that, that people speak when they're, not, when they're not planning stuff out, they're not put on a show. You know, the, the Pharisees and, and the, the religious leaders of the time, they put on a good show when they were in front of the people, saying all the right things. But, you know, if you got them in times where they weren't focused on what they were saying, when they were speaking carelessly, you began to see the, the fruit of their life. And you could say, hey, you're not an apple tree, you're a banana tree, I can tell. you got bananas hanging from your noodle. You know, it's, uh, it's, that's how we can tell. When we have people that speak good things, they speak the word of God, you can tell that God's moving inside of them. You can tell that they're speaking good because that's what's flowing from their heart. And how many know that you can see people that, that you can tell that just have bitterness inside of them? Have you ever seen people that, that nothing they say is nice? Everything they say is negative. They're always cutting people down. That's stemming from, from a root of bitterness inside of them. And the truth is, like, you know, you guys ever seen the, the show with the grumpy old men? Anybody seen that? All right, this reference won't work. We'll skip it. So, <laughs> but uh, it's just about some, it's a, it's a comedy about these men that are just old, cranky old men that are grumpy. And, and, and if you ever watch the show, you'll see their life is miserable. And the, the same is for us. If we speak miserably, our life will be miserable. And it says, these careless or useless words, uh, the, the word that means careless or useless, it's actually your, your small talk. You know, you're going to give an account for, for these, these idle words, this small talk, the stuff that comes out, not when you're being deliberate, but the, the stuff that you say. Are you, in your life, when you're, when, you're, when you're speaking to yourself or to others and you're not trying to put on a show, it's just a true you coming out. Are you speaking negative words? Are you speaking negatively to people? Are you tearing them down? Or are you building them up? Are you making their life more difficult? Are you, are you encouraging them so that they can grow? Are you being rude or are you being positive? All these things, you know, we're going to have to give an account. We're going to have to give an account for the things that we teach as we teach others. You know, as, as a pastor, I'm going to be held to pretty high level of accountability for the stuff that I've taught. In the same way, what we speak to others will be held accountable for as well. And I'm not saying this is a heaven or hell thing. You're saved by, by, by faith in Jesus Christ. But we will stand before Jesus one day and give an account for what we've done. And then he says, For by your words you will be justified, and for by your words you will be condemned. In Matthew 7, 1-2 it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. You know, when we want to hold people, account, people accountable differently to how we're held accountable, we have a problem. We should judge people like God judged people. Well, how does God judge people? Well, God judged people in Jesus. He paid the price. 
Therefore, we don't judge people on what they do, but on, on who they are, their identity. And if they're saved, that's how we see people. Paul says that I resolve not to know anybody except for Christ in them. Yes, even when people are messing up, we encourage them to grow and to, and to do better, but we don't judge them for what they're doing because Christ paid for that. And those that aren't saved, we don't expect them to act saved because they're not. All we can do is give them Jesus. And in Luke 6.38 it says, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you give graciously, you'll receive graciously. And don't worry, we're not taking another offering. But, uh, you know, the, the truth is that, that, that how your, your standard of measure, the words that you say, is what you're going to be justified by. And then in James 3, 7 through 10, continuing on, it says, For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. For the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Our, our tongue has the opportunity to be wilder than the wildest animals. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that we can tame every kind of animal. And especially in this world, we see they've caught everything. They put it in zoos. They can tame it, capture it. And, and it's, it's man can do that. But sometimes the, the tongue just cannot be tamed. And the Bible says that actually man can't tame the tongue. The only way to do it is with God. The only way to do it is to trust God in your life and to let him work in your life. And then he goes on to say, From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Anybody ever, your mom ever, or somebody ever tells you, would you kiss your mother with that mouth? You ever heard that saying? <laughs> you know, there's, you know, when I was growing up and I thought it was cool, I wanted to cuss or say something stupid. Was, would you kiss your mother with that mouth? That's what, that's what I was told. And the same thing, how can you have blessing and cursing coming out of your mouth at the same time? And if you're a Christian, what he's saying is you guys are Christians. You guys love God. Everything should be blessing out of your mouth. Why are you letting cursing coming out of a mouth that was made for blessing, that was changed for blessing? And the truth is we should be blessing both men and God with our mouth. Amen. And then Ephesians 4.29 says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. As we've seen, our words have an incredible amount of power in our life, and because of that, we need to be mindful of our words. We need to be giving grace to those who hear them. Everything that we say should be an encouragement to somebody. If somebody's struggling with sin in their life, we don't condemn them. We encourage them to overcome it. We remind them that in Christ they are free from that. That should be all of our words. If somebody's doing something dumb, I mean, they're doing something, and let's face it, people do dumb things. But we don't convict them. We don't tear them down. We help them. We encourage them. It's just like when you're raising children, if you have a child that their entire life has been told that you're worthless, you'll not measure up to anything, you're dumb, you're stupid, you can't do anything, you have no talents, you have no skills, when that children grows up, they begin to believe that stuff about themselves. That, that actually has an impact on their lives. As a matter of fact, many children never recover from being raised like that. They're, they're damaged for life. And, and truthfully, at that point, the only thing that can save them is Jesus. For them to discover 
actually do have a worth and somebody was willing to die for them and pay the ultimate price for them. And in the same way, if you have children and, and, you're, and you're constantly encouraging, saying that you can do anything, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do that. In Christ, you can do anything. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a girl or a boy. There's nothing that holds you back. Just know that in Christ, that you are capable of everything. If you tell your child that, if you encourage your child in that way, then they will grow up strong, competent individuals in the Lord. Amen? John Wooden, he's a former basketball coach for the UCLA, just showed a perfect example of, of showing grace with your, uh, with your, with your tongue. And uh, he took over UCLA from, from uh, the former Indiana University coach, uh, Bobby Knight. And he said uh, when he was asked about, uh, or he didn't take over, he was talking about the, this Indiana University coach. And he, uh, he was pressed in an interview to, to uh, talk about what this coach was doing. And he says, I think Bob Knight is an outstanding teacher of the game of basketball, but I don't approve of his methods. But I'm not a judge. I'm not judging Bob Knight. There is so much bad in the best of us and so much good in the worst of us, it hardly behooves me to talk about the rest of us. You know, this is a man that, that Bob Knight's obviously doing some, some pretty rough stuff. Many people don't approve of it. And I find it amazing that instead of railing on this guy, the first words out of his mouth are, I think Bob Knight is an outstanding teacher of the game of basketball. How many of us would see people that are doing stuff that we don't approve of, but we begin to the first thing we say is something to encourage them or having grace for them? You know that when we, when we speak that way of people, it doesn't mean that we approve of what they're doing. It doesn't mean that we agree with them, but it does mean that we're letting Christ live through us as we extend grace to other people. Every word that we speak should be for the edification according to the need for the moment, whether it be for the person that is going through it or even for the people around us. All of our words should bring grace. Amen? Then in Proverbs 26.20, it says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. I've worked in places where people are constantly talking about the boss. People are constantly talking about other people. And when people are constantly yapping and talking, it creates this, this fire, this storm, firestorm of a place to work in where nobody's happy. There's always negativity. And we find that gossip is utterly destructive. But the Bible says that if there's a lack of wood, the fire goes down. You know, when, when somebody's talking bad about somebody else, gossiping about somebody else, if you join in, you're just adding fuel to the fire. Everyone's heard that expression, you're adding fuel to the fire. That's where that comes from. But the Bible says if there is no whisperer, if there's not somebody around the corner whispering, talking about people, that contention will go down. It doesn't mean you agree with what's going on, but there's a, even if something is not, even if the boss is just a giant pain in the butt and he's, he's doing wrong, he's, he's not a good manager, all the talking, all the gossip actually makes it worse than what's actually going on. But the Bible says that if there's no whisper, contention quiets down. And we also find that in Proverbs 17:28 it says, Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Sometimes it's just wiser for us to shut our yapper and let the, the fires burn down. Amen? Then in Psalm 141.3, 
says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. I used to work at Old Pueblo Grill, and I would literally pray this prayer every night before I went in because I'm fortunate now where I work, there's, everyone's not Christians, but they're all not filthy college kids. So it's something about being in college and not being saved just leads to stupidity. I know I was there once, and I got saved from that, and then I saw it in the people around me. But I would pray, Father, please guide and guard my lips. Help me to say the right things and help me not to say the wrong things. Because I wanted to be a blessing to the people I worked with. I wanted to be that light on, on a lampstand, that city on a hill. I wanted people to see what I had. But if, if you join in with what they're doing or you start saying stupid things or you're critical of them or you're, or you're doing any of these things, you actually push them away. And, you know, the, the Bible says that God will also give you the words to speak. And this is a prayer. I, to this day, I still say, it, God, God, please guide and guard my lips. Let me say the right things. Let me not say the wrong things. And I thank God because I know God will give me the words to speak when it's necessary. And the 21, 12 through 15, it says, Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. And it will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. What he's saying is, is you don't need to have a case prepared beforehand. What he's not saying is you don't need to know your word. You don't need to know what's going on. You don't need to know your testimony. What he's saying is you don't need to prepare a script, but he will give you the words to speak. He will, he will bring to your remembrance scriptures that you need to hear. You know, it's, I'm sure this has happened in many of your lives where you can't remember a scripture right off the top of your head, but you'll begin to speak to somebody and you'll notice the Holy Spirit will bring a scripture to your mind and you're able to tell them that. You'll be able to speak into their lives. God will give you the words to speak to touch somebody's lives. Amen? Next, we should be having words of praise constantly on our lips. In Psalms 119, 171-173, it says, Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. Constantly on our lips should be praise. If something happens... In work, we need to be thanking God. If you're driving down the interstate and you see a, a near accident and nothing happens, you just thank God, Father, that no one was hurt. Thank God that, that people were safe. Constantly, we need to be praising God, thanking God, and giving Him glory throughout the day. You get a raise at work, thank God for giving me a raise. You get, uh, you know, uh, something happens. It's the little things we need to thank God for, too. You're, you're working with a coworker, and you guys are able to solve what seemed like a minor problem. Thank you, Father, for giving us this ability. We should constantly be thanking and praising God. It says, let my tongue sing of your word for all your commandments or righteousness. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. You know, our heart influences our words. Our heart influences our thoughts, which influences our words, and this works both ways. If you're having trouble, you don't understand, you know, you don't, you're, you're having trouble believing God for one of his promises, begin to say it. As you begin to say it, you begin to think, and as you begin to think it constantly, your heart will begin to change as you have a revelation of, of God working in your life. And that works both ways. If you say stupid things and think stupid things, that'll begin to, to make you believe stupid things in your heart. 
The truth is, is our appreciation of the one who gave it all should always influence everything we say, whether it's praise to him or it's when speaking to others. You know, when we look at this world, we shouldn't see people as a, as a sum of their actions, but see people the same way that God sees them. And I tell you what, God died for them. He gave us life for them. And that's the same way we should see other people as well. In Romans 10, 8 through 10, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Praise God. Sorry. See, the word is not just trapped in our thoughts, but it should be spoken with our mouth. The Bible says the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. What does it mean by in your heart? You should be speaking the word of God. And we see that from the very first act that you take in becoming a Christian is that you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You know, that's why if you guys have ever seen an altar call, the reason why we ask the people to, to pray with us, you know, is to pray this prayer with me so that they're speaking out loud. They're making a declaration out loud. It's also why we ask many times for them to come up front or raise their hand so we can have somebody pray with them because they're speaking out loud. They're making confession of what they believe. From, from day one in Christianity, it requires us to use our mouth. And the truth is, we always speak what we believe. In our lives, we always speak what we believe. When uh, you guys are watching, watching sports, you got a favorite football team. What's your favorite football team, John? The 49ers? So you, you would say that the 49ers are the best team, right? Would you ever say the Cowboys are the best team? Because that's not what you believe. That's not what you believe. You, you know, you say what you believe. You ever talk to somebody that uh, has an opinion about money, where you should invest it, where you should... I mean, they have opinions, and they'll, they'll tell you what they believe. Or have you ever had somebody that's uh, uh, getting into health, so they, they start learning about the different foods they need to eat and they need different exercises, especially someone first getting... I mean, they'll tell you what they believe. And they're not going to... I mean, what we believe influences what we say. So the question is, we all believe here that Christ is the Son of God and He's the only path to salvation... Does anybody ever hear you saying that? Because I tell you what, I know you've told somebody you like the 49ers, right? I know I, tell, I get into something. I, tell, I like talking about stuff that I like and I believe in. And uh, this is one of those things. We need to make sure that we're talking about what we believe. Amen. And then in Joshua 1.8, we looked at this scripture uh, the other day on Wednesday night at our, at our Bible study. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. You know, we've talked about it before. Christian meditation is not like Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation is about emptying your head. Christian meditation is about filling your head with the Word of God. And this, this, this uh, you shall meditate it on day and night. You know, it's, uh, the word there actually means to mumble, to say it out loud, to, to actually say the word. You know, when you're reading the word of God, begin to repeat scriptures to yourself throughout the day. Pick one. You have something that you want to grab a hold of, find a scripture that testifies to that promise in your life. Just learn that one. Say that one throughout the day. 
You know, you, you're struggling with healing in your life, or you're struggling with finances or relationships, find scriptures in the Bible that, that, that talk about those things. Put them on sticky notes all over your house, and when you walk by them, say that scripture out loud. Speak that scripture into your life. In order for us to live out the word in our lives, we have to be willing to say it, and we need to make, a, make that a discipline in our life to speak the word of God over our lives. And finally, we're going to look at James 3.2, the last scripture we'll look at today. It says, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. You know, James is making it pretty clear that uh, what we say impacts our life in such a great manner that if we'll speak the right things, that we will actually live a perfect life. That if we begin to say that uh, Christ is my Lord and Savior, He has freed me from all sin. He has freed me from this sin in my life that's trying to pull me down. As we begin to say that, it will manifest in our lives and we'll begin to, to live that out in our lives. It says if you're able to bridle your tongue, if you're able to not stumble in what you say, if you constantly speak the Word of God of life in your, uh, the word of God in your life, you'll be able to live a perfect life. Have God's will perfectly manifest itself in your life. And it's not, the perfectness doesn't come from, from what you do, your ability to, to, to live perfectly. It actually comes from God's power at work in your life. God makes you perfect when you're saved, and you're able to live out that perfection if you begin to speak those promises with your mouth. If you begin to speak those promises out loud, you'll be amazed to find how your life changes, how, how the way you live your life changes if you begin to proclaim the Word of God in your life. Speak it with your mouth, not just with, your, with your, your mind, but actually begin to speak it out loud. You'll be amazed at the changes you'll find in your life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.